0: The best album of 1986 was Paul Simon's Graceland. There were some other contenders that year for the number two spot. I would personally nominate Peter Gabriel's So or the debut album from Crowded House, but only for number two. Number one has to go to Paul Simon's Graceland. I've listened to that album um, countless times, probably close to a thousand times over the last 30 plus years. And if you don't agree with me on this, then we're just not going to be able to be friends. It is a, it is a magnificent piece of work and I like pretty much every track on it. The ninth track in particular is the one that I want to talk about today. It's called Crazy Love Volume 2 and it includes a line about your life being on fire. It says, somebody could walk into this room and say, your life is on fire. It's all over the evening news about your life on, your life being on fire. And lately, that's the way it has felt. It has felt that way in my personal life, in in some areas, um, and it's felt that way on the evening news, watching our society uh, on fire. Lately, literally on fire. But of course, it didn't begin there. It began with the, the virus over the past couple of Months as we've been dealing with first the virus and then the lockdown. And now the, the quandary we're in of how can we safely emerge from a lockdown? We've been dealing with all the issues around the virus. And then for the last week or so, we've been dealing with the the protests. Um, We've been dealing with the issue of race in our country. We've been dealing with the issue of uh, the abuse of power. Uh, We've been dealing with uh, rioting and looting. Uh, We've been dealing with a lot of uh, these issues in our life. As a society, and of course um, uh, we 've been doing it all with a background against this backdrop, this perpetual backdrop of political polarization and the social media rage factory. But for some of us, we don 't have to go out of our house; we can find our life on fire just by looking around within the house. Maybe uh, some of you can relate to that maybe it 's a health issue that you 're dealing with or, or a loved one is dealing with. Maybe for you, it's, it's something else. Maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Uh, maybe it's a depression. Maybe it's mental illness. Maybe it's domestic violence or an addiction. That I think right now, everyone to one degree or another can deal with the problem of our life being on fire. So the question is, how do we interpret the, the, the events of our life? How do we make sense of what's going on in our life when our life is on fire? As people of faith, I think we are often tempted to assume that the, the troubles in our life are a sign of God's favor or disfavor. That if we have more trouble, that means God's unhappy with us. If we have less trouble, uh, that means God is happier with us. Uh, there is a scholar named Kate Bowler's Uh, She studied the prosperity gospel, which is really this idea, the idea that God wants you to be happy, God wants uh, to to pour blessings into your life, and if you're not getting those blessings, the problem is at your end. You're not asking for them, and you're not pleasing God. She studied this with a kind of a a scholarly detachment, right up until she was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And then she found herself asking the same questions. What have I done wrong? Why, why is this happening to me? Is this, is this a sign of God's disfavor in my life? And she realized that all of us have a little bit of prosperity gospel in us. And so when we are confronted by the fires in our life, the the fires in our, in our home life, the fires in our societal life, whatever they may be, we are strongly oriented toward Toward attributing those to to God, God is either judging me or God is smiling on me. But in our lesson today, we're going to see that there's another way we can interpret the events of our life, the troubles in our life in particular, and they come from the Apostle Paul writing to the the church in Corinth. It wasn't his first letter to the church in Corinth; it was his second, so we call it Second Corinthians. And in it, Paul reinterprets the troubles. In his life, now for us today, two thousand years later, we can imagine Paul was a very impressive figure. That we look at, we look at what Paul achieved just during the short period that he was ministering, uh, the, the the number of churches he he founded, the the influence he created at at the time and subsequently by writing about a quarter of the New Testament, and we can we can think of Paul as being a very impressive figure. But we're looking at him with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, in his own experience, in the churches that he founded, Paul was not seen as a very impressive figure. Uh, to, to the Jews of his society, uh, they would have looked at him as, a, as an apostate, someone who had left the faith and had started preaching a strange uh, a parody of, of Judaism. To the Greek-speaking world that he, that he traveled around in, they would, have, they would have seen him as a stranger from a different ethnic group, who is peddling a strange god. So they would have seen Paul as very um unimpressive to 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 get started. And then on top of that Paul while, while we see we we can see and as we read the the scriptures that Paul was very well read, he was apparently not a good orator. And in his society everyone valued oratory uh, very highly. And so Paul was not impressive as a as a speaker. He apparently didn't have a very impressive physical uh, aspect as well. People said that he was not much to look at, um, and we, we see this in his own letters. He's commenting on people uh, people's comments about him, and we know that even in the churches that he founded, Paul Paul was uh, um, seen as unimpressive, even by people that he had he had uh, uh, recruited into the Christian faith, people that he had converted. Um, uh, they saw him as unimpressive, and he was often undermined by people in, in those churches. And that's really the, the background for both the first and the second letter to the church in Corinth. So we see that, that he was not an impressive figure in his own time frame. People would have looked at him and said, well, he's not so hot, he's not a good speaker, and he's got a lot of problems, frankly. Because in addition to the, the problems within the church, he was always facing trouble outside the church. He had to deal with, with riots, and stonings and beatings and imprisonments. Uh, Paul had to deal with all kinds of trouble outside the church. Some of it was at the hands of the police, and some of it was at the hands of rioters. Paul had to deal with all kinds of problems outside the church. And then, of course, because he traveled in the first century, he had to deal with the problems of traveling. He talks about how he had been shipwrecked many times um, because Ships weren't reliable in the first century. He talks about being in danger on the roads from bandits because, again, that was something that you faced in the first century. So we can we can say Paul was heroic, but if we had been there at the time, we would have said Paul is not very impressive, that he seems to always be getting into trouble, and frankly, he's not much to listen to, and he's not much to look at. So people would have seen Paul as not a very impressive figure, and in particular, they would have seen his troubles as a sign that... Maybe he really didn't have much going on. And so in this letter, in the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul reinterprets that perspective that people have, that prosperity gospel mindset that so many of us find ourselves defaulting to. Paul reinterprets his hardship for them uh, in this letter. And uh, really he spends the first half of the letter, uh, chapters 1 through 7, doing that. And then he moves on to other topics. But uh, we're going to pick it up just in the very center, the heart of his argument, um, where he talks about about um, that perception that people have and, and, and a different way of looking at his problems. So he, we, we begin in verse 6. He says that God said that light should shine out of darkness. Uh, he, God, is the same one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, he's referring that that, that God said that light would shine out of darkness. That's from, from the book of Genesis and uh, possibly also from the book of Isaiah. Uh, God, God uh, brings light out of darkness. But he's saying that he is the one who shone in our hearts. So in, in Paul's heart, God shone in his heart. Some scholars believe that Paul is referring to his experience, his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, where, where um, in every account of that that we find in the New Testament, Paul described, or, or the, the, the light is described as being blinding, that it was noon, brighter than noonday. And so, maybe Paul's referring to that, but he's referring to more than just the exterior light. He's talking about light that shines in his heart. So um, what he's what he's talking about there is that God gave him some inward illumination, something about the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ, and this is this is uh, common to countless Christians down through the centuries that that people have experienced the same kind of inward illumination, and maybe for some people they they read a story about Jesus in one of his biographies they they read about. Um, how he embraces the outcast or the sinner, and they think to, to themselves, "That's what God should be like. That God should be someone who is gracious to the sinner." Um, maybe, maybe they they read a story about how how uh, Jesus uh, confronts uh, mean religious authorities, and they think, "That's what God should be like." Uh, Paul would say that those glimmerings, those, those senses, well, that's what God should do, isn't it? Isn't that the way God should behave? That that sense, that this is, this is what God is like, that we see that in the face of Jesus Christ, and Paul says that is, that is God's glory, um, shining through that. And, and when we feel in our hearts the, the knowledge of, uh, God's glory that we see in the face of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's what he's talking about here, um, that, that, that people experience even today, That sense of, of this is what God should be, shouldn't it? This is, this is who God should be. This is the way God should act. That that, that sense, that glimmer of knowledge is, is, is the knowledge of the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, so he says that and then multiply that by all those people down through the centuries. Everybody who's had an experience like that. Everybody who, who has had a sense this is, this is who God is. This is, this is what what God is, is revealed in, in Jesus as we see Him in the scriptures. So Paul would say that that small taste each of us has multiplied out by all the people who have experienced it. That is this light that He's talking about. This, this light that shines in the darkness. But He says that we have this treasure in clay pots. He says, we have this treasure in clay pots. Why? So that the awesome power uh, belongs to God and doesn't come from us. Paul says that God has set up a, a, a circumstance where people have to look at Him and say, "What you're saying about God is compelling. I find myself drawn to it. It is, it is, um, it is an irresistible story that you tell, Paul, about God. And yet, at the same time, I'm confronted with somebody who doesn't seem to be favored by God. I'm confronted with somebody who is." Not at all impressive. He's personally unappealing. You don't talk well. You're, you're a hard luck story. You're always getting into trouble. And I'm having trouble connecting these two things that, that somehow you can, you can have such a clear and compelling story of the grace of God and at the same time be so unimpressive yourself. And Paul would say that is exactly the point that, that that is the, the clay pot of my life, that I am a clay pot. I am a common earthenware vessel. I'm fragile. I'm inexpensive. There's nothing impressive about me, but there is a treasure inside me, the knowledge, the, the, the light that comes from the knowledge of the glory of God. That is what is impressive, and you have to somehow put these two together. Paul is not saying, I'm too tough for that stuff. Paul, Paul says this. He says, He says, we're experiencing all kinds of trouble, but we aren't crushed. We are confused, but we aren't depressed. We are harassed, but we aren't abandoned. We are knocked down, but we aren't knocked out. Paul is not saying, I'm I'm too tough. That stuff doesn't bother me. Paul says, that nearly kills me. And yet here I am. He says, somehow or another, I have been able to endure because of the life of Christ that is in me. So he goes on to say, we always carry Jesus' death around in our bodies so that Jesus' life can also be seen in our bodies. He says, we who are alive are also being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life can also be seen in our bodies that are dying. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Jesus says that when we have our not jesus paul Paul says that um that the troubles in our life illustrate the death of they they, they they illustrate they reflect the death of christ that that we we share the common humanity that Jesus himself experienced that that the death of Christ is something that we illustrate with our own frailty and our own problems uh that that we We illustrate that, and yet at the same time, through our endurance, we illustrate the life of Christ. And so, when we we feel that our life is on fire, when we feel that our society is on fire, what Paul would invite us to say is that maybe we should turn away from the prosperity gospel idea that, that God is judging us or God is smiling on us. And instead think of ourselves as sharing in the suffering of Christ, that this is something that Christians do. Our church's mission uh, is to help people trust Jesus for a better life. We, we don't say better because it's uh, easier. Uh, we don't say better because you won't suffer. We say better because in your suffering, in our suffering, you will show the light of Christ. We don't say better because you're going to be happy all the time, but because your life will have meaning. So we we speak the same way as Paul about the idea of having a better life as opposed to an easier life or a happier life. Sometimes we're lucky and people support us. We are surrounded by a community of faith that supports us. That doesn't always happen. Churches get this wrong. Paul's own church here in Corinth was not supportive. That's why he wrote these letters. Uh, and later on, there appears to have been some kind of reconciliation. And sometimes the church gets it wrong. Sometimes Christians, as the saying goes, sometimes Christians are the ones who shoot their wounded. But when it works, when the church experiences the kind of community that the Holy Spirit empowers, that is another way of shining light in the darkness. That is another way of showing to the people, uh, outside the church what, what God is, is doing, the, the, the glory of God that we see in the face of Jesus Christ. So, that's what Paul's getting at in this section of 2 Corinthians. And I, I, obviously, I think it has some topicality because of the, the events going on for the last couple of months and especially the last week or so. But I bring it up for another reason, which is that today is Trinity Sunday. It is the most theological occasion in the church calendar. Uh, it is it is about a doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity, that isn't even found in the New Testament. It's something that the church had to piece together from the pointers that are located in the New Testament. There are all these places where we see The idea of God as three persons and one God that are articulated but never completely fleshed out. And so it was something the church had to arrive at over the course of a couple of centuries. But we do see pointers. And one of the pointers we see is at the end of this letter, this letter where Paul has recounted so much of the trouble that he's faced and how he interprets it in light of, in light of um, what Jesus is doing, um, uh, For us and, and the, the light that is now, the light of Christ that is now showing through Him. And He says this, He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace, the grace, the, the costly self-giving generosity of Jesus to do something not because we deserve it, but simply because He is generous. He is willing to give of Himself for us. The love of God, what kind of love? The the love to all people everywhere, to the, the, the love for saint and the love for sinners, the love for protesters and the love for police officers, the love for allies in the struggle and the love for outside agitators, the love for the oppressed and the love for the oppressor. The love for the innocent and the love for the guilty. This is the love of God. And then the community of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to support people, particularly in their suffering. This is what Paul is referring to. And it is, it is one of the many passages that led the early church to formulate the doctrine of the Trinity. This idea that, that in our troubles, we experience the grace of Jesus, the, the costly generosity of Jesus, the love of God for every person, and sometimes the community of the Holy Spirit. So, in our times, uh, the, the times nationally and the times in our own homes, I invite you to reassess the troubles in your life. Not as a sign of God's favor or disfavor, not as... Not as the consequence of something you did wrong or something you did right, but as an opportunity for you by your own fragility to shine with the light of Christ through the cracks that come from being hard pressed but not crushed, from being confused but not depressed, from being harassed but not abandoned. Shine with the light of Christ in these troubles and see them as an opportunity to show the light of Christ to a dark world. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on this Trinity Sunday, we remember that you are not the the candy store God that, that gives out nothing but happiness to the people who love him, but you use us as you use Jesus to shine light into a dark world. Help us to See our own troubles in that, in that same light that Paul saw his as an opportunity to show your grace and and your goodness into uh, a troubled world. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.